Good morning. Welcome home, family. Yes, it's, it's good. I, if you don't know, I've been on vacation, so it's good to be back. Uh, it's good to see everyone this fine morning, this fine Sunday morning. Thank you uh, for the worship team, uh, for leading us in praise. Uh, yes, thank you a lot for that. Um, so we've been going through the book of Exodus for a bit now, and we're going to continue to do so, and we're going to be in Exodus 31 here in a bit. Uh, but let's just recap where we have been and where, uh, where, where the book has been. So the book of Exodus, in, the, in a nutshell, we have seen how the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt and how God brought a deliverer, a savior to them uh, of the name of Moses and how he uh, sought to lead the people out of Egypt and God performed miracles and signs, these 10 what we call plagues on Egypt, and he led them out how they were trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, and God provided a way out there and, and um, separated the Red Sea, and they crossed over, and how they uh, kind of were reorganizing their camp, and, and how they, got, they did that with godly wisdom. And then they approached Mount Sinai, which is the Mount of God, and how they circled around this, and God appeared. His presence descended upon the mountain in a cloud, and how they were going, Moses goes up and meets with God, and he he receives the Ten Commandments. He receives the law code. The elders and Aaron are supposed to come up and kind of tremble at the foot of the mountain. No one can touch the mountain because it's too holy, but he receives the law code. And then he receives the, the instructions for building the tabernacle, which Bruce talked about last week, about how he, he gave an, uh, explicit instructions on how they were supposed to build this tabernacle where he would dwell and lead the people as they were going to approach the promised land. And so now when we go to chapter uh, 31 of Exodus, we see a community that's focused on God. They're waiting for Moses to descend from the mountain. And then chapter 31 is actually the last chapter where Moses is with God. And before he descends the mountain with the tablets of the Ten Commandments to speak to the people. And so that's where we pick up the story of the God's people in Exodus and Exodus 31. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 31, and we're going to read this together. And just um, a disclaimer, we're going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to focus today on the first 11 verses of this chapter as we, we dive into this. But it says this, and the Lord says to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahesmic, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, and the ark of testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, and the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all of its utensils, and the alt altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, and all of its utensils, and the basin as it stands, and the finely worked garments, and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, the garments of his sons for the service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. 
And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, they, that soul shall be cut from among his people. Six days you shall work, work will be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the seventh day shall be put to the death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Let's pray. Therefore, Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word in which we can open it, we can read it, we can understand it, we can see the truth of who you are and how you've moved throughout history. Lord, I pray for this time as we seek to understand what you have written here, what you've given to us uh, I, I pray for our understanding, and I pray for you to speak through me. That above all else, that your words are heard. That your truth is proclaimed. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that we can see your love, we can see how you move, we can see the truth of who you are through it. And we pray for all, in the, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I said we're going to be focusing on those first 11 verses of Exodus 31, where we have these two strangely named fellows who are signaled out uh, uh, by God to be building the tabernacle. And But what should we learn when we read this? What should we take away from Exodus 31, this, especially these first three verses, I mean, thir- first 11 verses? And I would offer this. Use your God-given gifts to glorify God. It almost seems too simple on the surface. And when we read this story and we read these people who are endowed with these gifts, God gives them these gifts in order to fulfill his commands to build his tabernacle. These two guys named, but there's also many other people who are included in this passage. He gives these people gifts to fulfill the commands he has given them. And it's easy to see that and say how God still operates in that same way, that he gives us gifts, he gives us abilities, he gives us what we need to fulfill the commands he's given us. And so we, along with Bezalel and Oholiab, along with them, we should use our God-given gifts to glorify God. Let's see how we see this. Well, first of all, as I said, it start, the story starts, or this account starts, with these two guys, Bezalel and Oholiab, these great names. You know, it's funny, you don't see these in baby name books, right? You don't see these names being kind of rising to charts, charting up. It's a funny story with this, this off. We named our, our son uh, Theodore, our newest son, Theodore, and we've had that name forever. And then after we named it, I realized it's like the number, like in the top 10 of boy names for like these last couple of years. I'm like, man, he should have been Oholiab. But okay. <laughs> Oholiab. But he's not. Anyway, so we get these two names, these two guys, 
Bezalel and Oholiab. And their names do have me. Actually, their names actually kind of fit in what God has called them to do because Bezalel means in the shadow of God. And if he's building the tabernacle, he's overseeing this. And what is he but in the shadow of God as he's going to build the tabernacle? And Oholiab, that name means my tent is the Father God. And the guy given to help the guy to build the tent of God, his name actually means my tent. My tent is the Father God. It seems almost predestined, you might say, that God chose these people. They're named in these ways that show the work that he's going to do through them. It's this cool thing. They're called to help build the tabernacle. Now, why is this needed? Well, there's a great thing here that that these guys are only mentioned here in Exodus and later when it talks about him actually building the tabernacle. They're only mentioned there. They're not mentioned anywhere else. They're kind of those supporting characters of the Bible that kind of come up and then kind of drift off into obscurity. But they have this point because Moses can't build the tabernacle by himself. It's true. Moses was a prophet. What the tabernacle needed was a craftsman to build it. Moses was not gifted to gather the supplies, artistically design them, carve into wood, carve into metal, all these things that God gave him. And so God rises, raises up people around him, men around him, to achieve the commands to fulfill what God has called them to do. And that's what's happening here, is that this is a big job and they needed people who had skill to do this job. If we look back in the past, the past uh, chapters in, in Exodus uh, 26, verse 1, and Exodus 28, verse 3, it talks about how all these things of building a tabernacle should be done skillfully. God didn't want just some, some average Joe walking up there and nailing some things together and saying, there, this is God's tent. No, he wanted skillful laborers to come and to use their God-given gifts to glorify him. And so he calls these people, Bezalel, who seems probably the, the foreman of the whole mission of overseeing everything, and his right-hand man, Oholiab, to do this task of building the tabernacle for God forming his tent where he can meet with his people. It's so great when we see this illustration because it shows how the community of God needs more than just one or two people doing the work that God has called the community to. As I said, Moses couldn't do this himself. Aaron couldn't do this himself as a priest. He, you, you, you have to extend the, the lines a little bit and, and call people who have the skills to do that. And it's so easy to see how that kind of incorporates with the modern church as well. So often, I think, especially in our day and age, in the, in the Western society, in the evangelical church, we like to professionalize the ministry and say, well, we pay a minister, we pay a pastor, and when they kind of do the work of the ministry, and that's good. But that's not what the model we see either in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. We see the whole church doing the work of the church. We see people who are skilled and gifted doing those different things. And, and I think it's just wise for us to look at that and be encouraged and actually be challenged about how we serve the ministry of the church and how we use the gifts that God has given us. I think it's just, I mean, I'll use myself as a great example of this in illustration, is I cannot do what needs to happen as we do church service on a Sunday morning by myself. If I tried, no one would be here. Because you don't want me 
with any of this stuff. Projecting my voice, that is tone deaf. Uh, leading some people in, in praise music. Physically, you can't be in every location taking care of everything. And it's just really easy to see when we just look at the church, how we need everyone to be using their gifts to fulfill what God has called them to do. Even people who are only mentioned once, how important that is, and that you can look at them and say, yeah, they're just these supporting characters that come and they're quickly forgotten. And we kind of think, no, when we have this mentality maybe in our, in our culture of the, the big names or the, the more, more important people or the people up front, maybe they're more important than people who are behind the scenes. And that's just not true because while we can call these people supporting characters, every single human character in the Bible is a supporting character to God. That this is actually his story his mission, his word, and he calls his people to support and do what he has called them to do. And so we should use your God-given gifts to glorify God. And we see this. It's, it's all kinds of people and all kinds of gifts. Because I love this phrase in, in verse 6. We, we, we have this uh, calling of Bezalel and old Holiab, but then in verse 6 it says, And I have given to all able men ability, that they might make all that I have commanded you. That he is extending it. He's not even saying this is two guys. He says, no, these two guys are overseeing the work, but he has given, God has given to all able people ability to fulfill the commands he's given them. It's not these two people. It's, it's all types of workers. And that makes sense when you start looking at what they have to do. No one man, no two men could do all that they could do. Think of all the different types of work they had to do. It lists all that. It talks about how it gives uh, Bezalel the understanding to do this work, to devise artistic de designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and carving wood, to work in every craft. All those things. No one person is gifted in all of these. And so all these different men who are, have been given ability, these able men, are going to contribute, be led by Bezalel and how they fulfill the mission of God. And what are they doing? They're doing all those sorts of things to build the tabernacle. And again, it lists this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, starting in verse 7, it talks about, basically summarizes the last several chapters, and what they're doing. What are they doing? They're going to be making the tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, and the seat, mercy seat that is in it, on it, and all the furnaces of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all of its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils, and the basin and its stands, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons for the service as priests, and, for, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. All these different tasks require the whole community to come together to use the gifts that God has given them to actually perform and create these things. Because remember, these things are be done, to be done skillfully. I don't know. Usually the person who is going to be knitting garments for a priest has a skill set that's quite different to someone who is forming the mercy seat and working in gold and bronze. These are different skill sets, and so God has called different people with different skill sets to come together to fulfill what he has commanded his people. And again, I think it's easy to see a connection with the church. 
that the church has been given a mission. The church has been given a mission to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, to build up believers, to be that light upon the hill, to be that outpost of heaven in a dark world. That's the mission of the church. And guess what? It takes the whole body of the church to do its mission. That need, we need people of various skills bringing their skills together to do complete this mission. We need the whole body at work, which is why when you read the, old, uh, the New Testament, we see again and again this metaphor of the body working together is so prevalent in Paul's theology. In one place in 1 Corinthians 12, he says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For, one spirit, uh, for, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. That the body of Christ, the church, does not consist of just one person or two people on their own. No, we are the body of Christ joined together. We have the same spirit. We drink from the same spirit. It, it kind of levels the playing field that there's no more slave or free. There's no more foreigner or, or native. No, we are together in one body. And because as one body, we operate as one body. He continues to use that metaphor and, and talks about how the foot cannot say to the eye and the eye can't say to the nose and all these things about how they don't need each other. No, because the body is formed of these different parts. And when we're missing a piece, when we don't have a piece of that body, the body doesn't, can't function like it's called to function. And so we're the body of Christ. And as we see here, the people of God were pulled together in community where all types of people were using their gifts in all these various ways. And so to the church, as a people of God are called together to use their gifts in these various ways to fulfill the mission of God, that we should use your God-given gifts to glorify God. And we see that. We see the fact that these gifts were given with a purpose, to fulfill the commands that God gave the people of God. We see this in uh, verse 6 and verse 7, the same phrase, that they may make all that I have commanded you. This idea that he gives these gifts, he gives these abilities, he gives these skills for this purpose that they can do what God has commanded them to do. The uh, um, commentator John Durham has this great quote. He says, uh, Bezalel was spe uh, specifically empowered for his assignment by the infilling of the divine spirit which adds to his native ability three qualities that suit him ideally for the task at hand. Wisdom, the gift to understand what is needed to fulfill Yahweh's instructions. Discernment, the talent for solving the inevitable problems involved in the creation of so complex a series of objects and materials, and the skill and experienced hand to guide and accomplish the labor itself. Basically what he's saying is that God endows and gives Bezalel and Oholiab and all the other men these gifts, so that they can fulfill and accomplish what God has given to them to do. That God doesn't say, hey, build the tabernacle, and they look around each other and they say, well, we don't know how to do it, and we don't, we don't have the skills. No, he, he has people who have the skills, and then he gives them what they need. He adds to their ability so that they could do 
what he's called them to do to, and honor him in those things. That when God calls us to do something, we should trust that he also gives us the ability to do what he has called us to do. That when God calls us to do what he has for us to do, we should trust that he doesn't just leave us on our own. He doesn't just leave us by ourselves. No, he gives us the ability to in him as we depend on him to fulfill what he has called us to do. So when we think about what he's called us to do, when we think together collectively as a church, one of the greatest things he's called us to do is what we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, when he says to his disciples, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always until the end of the age. He gives them this great command. He gives the church this great command, I would argue, that we're supposed to fulfill the great commission, that together we should be on this mission, that we're proclaiming the gospel to those who need to hear, that we're using our gifts to build up the church so it can do so, that we have all these different talents and skills that we can bring together to make the church a juggernaut for the great commission moving forward so that people hear who Christ is and so the Spirit can convert them and save them. That is us together, working together. And he gives us the ability to fulfill that task he's given us. This is why he ends that great command. And surely I'm with you always until the end of the age. Because without that, we can read that great commission and say, wow, that's a task I can't do. We can't do. He says, don't worry, I'm with you. And the same thing here is he gives us what we need to complete the task. And you can take that personally too. Not just us together, but when you look at your own life and you think about what God has called you to do. Universally, I would argue it's all the same in some, sex, some aspects. That universally we're all called to glorify him wherever we are. Universally we're all called to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Universally we're all called to work at everything in our lives as if we're working for Christ. But individually when you narrow it down and what you believe God has called you to do where you are right now, the same thing is true. That he's given you the giftings and the talents to do what he's called you to do. And so now use your God-given gifts to glorify God. And the main way he gifts us to be able to do what we need to do is that he empowers us and endows us with the Holy Spirit is that we are given the Holy Spirit to do what he has called us to do. When we read this story, it's interesting. It says, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. This is the first time that language is used in the Bible. And he's talking about craftsmen building the tabernacle. If you've been around church, probably we've heard that language, and when we go to the Old Testament, we're thinking, oh, that's prophets. Oh, that's the judges. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon them, and he, and the, and he fills them with the Spirit for a certain time in a certain way. But here, he fills these 
seemingly average Joe, blue-collared craftsman with the Spirit of God to complete his designs to do what he's called him to build, the tabernacle. Which is an amazing thing. It shows us the power of the Spirit that, he can, that he's going to, and it shows us the importance of worship in the building of the tabernacle too, but it shows us how God is going to pour out his Spirit on anyone and everyone he needs to pour out his Spirit on. But then we can't read it just in the Old Testament. We read it through New Testament lenses because we're Christians after the cross. We're Christians after Pentecost. We know that to be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit pour down on you. To be a Christian is to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which connects us to Christ, which makes us one with Christ. We know that's true as Christians. And so when we start thinking about what this means for Christians on the other side of the cross, we are already filled with the Spirit. We have already been given everything we need to do what He has called us. So we have no excuse. When God gives us command, He's already given us the Spirit to walk in those commands. And he's already given us everything we need, every power, every encouragement, everything we need to walk and fulfill the commands of what God has given us. Because we're Christians and we have the Holy Spirit in us. Because we believe in Christ. And as we see after Pentecost, that's how it works. Is that once we believe in Christ, we have the Spirit and we walk in the Spirit as Christians. When we read this account about how Bezalel had to be filled with the Spirit, and I'm going to probably assume that Oholiab and the fellow guys probably got their portion as well to be able to do these tasks, we see the necessity that reminds us as Christians that we need the Holy Spirit. If you ever find yourself moving forward, trying to do what God has called you to do apart from His Spirit, apart from Him, just thinking we can somehow muscle it, we can pick ourselves up by the bootstraps, we can somehow fake it till we make it. If you ever find yourself relying just on yourself, you're out of step of what the Christian life's called to be because we need the Spirit. That's why it's called walking in the Spirit, how we're called to look towards Him and walk in the Spirit that God has given us to fulfill the commands that He's given us to live. And all things, as Christians, we need the Holy Spirit to walk in His ways. It also is, I think, a great correction to maybe some people's uh, tendency to see the Holy Spirit as only that really dramatic, showy thing that shows up, right? No. We're talking about blue-collar craftsmen laboring under the hot desert sun at the foot of Sinai to craft a tent, to craft an altar, to craft the meeting places, to craft garments, to carve and cut into wood and the stone, and to make things done skillfully and beautifully and devising artistic designs, that this is not just big, grand showing things. This is almost like everyday labor as we work for God. The Holy Spirit is at work. Especially for Christians, when we think about the fact that we had the Holy Spirit for living for Christ, and such of living for Christ is those everyday moments when we walk with Him and seek to honor Him on a daily basis that he is there and we trust in him. So we trust that God has given us the spirit and what we need to follow him. And so we use your God-given gifts 
to glorify God. So the, you know, when we think about where we come to the end with this, with this text, and we see it is right before Moses is going to send back down the mountain with the stone tablets to the people, what are we supposed to take away? How do we apply it to ourselves? And we kind of been saying it the whole time. The whole main point is how we apply it to ourselves. But the fact is that God has gifted you. That we can, we can extrapolate from this text. I think we, we, that when we extrapolate to this text, not just from those different people, but from the vast majority when it says that he's given to all able men, that he's given to all able people, we can extrapolate that God has given us gifts. And we know that because we can just look around and we can look and see how people are gifted in all these different fashions. And he has given everyone gifts. And if you don't believe you're gifted, you are gifted in some way, in some fashion. God has given you gifts. And when you come to Christ, he takes those gifts and I would argue he enhances them. He, he purifies them. He, he might even tweak them in a way where they can be used to serve God. But God has given us gifts, and because we're given gifts, that now we're called to use those gifts to glorify God. Use those gifts that he's given you for God's glory. Now, the easy way to do that, the easy, you know, I think natural way is you look at the church and say, I'm gifted here and the church has its need and I get plugged in and I can serve in the ministry. I'm using those gifts that God has given me. And that's great. And we all should be doing that. If you're not doing that, I would encourage you to think about that and pray about it and see where you're gifted and how you can do that. You don't have to do it to the point of burnout. No, but you should be using what God has given you to glorify him. But also this applies for everyday life. When we think about how we glorify God, it's not just in the confines of this, these four walls, or even back in the kids, if you're that brave to go back there, but it's about life. That we're called to glorify God in all that we do. And he's given us gifts in which we can bless and serve others, where we can win the right to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone where we can be that light in a dark world in our workplace or maybe even our family or wherever we are, our neighborhood, we can be people who are just living the mission of God on our own, supported by a church, connected to church, but yes, just doing the things that God has called us to do. And that happens, or I should say maybe it's accelerated, when we use our gifts that he has given us to glorify him, intentionally seeking to glorify him. But as I said, the natural way in which we do this, I say natural because when God creates a people, he creates a people together. The natural way is the church, this body. If you're a member of this church, I can unabashedly say the church needs you to be using your gifts. The church needs people who are willing to look inside or have people speak truth to them about how they're gifted and how they can be used to support the mission of the church and plug, get plugged in and serve in those, well, those ways and those capacities. The church needs to thrive, to be healthy, to be that body that is walking not just with one foot or one eye, but a body that is operating as it as should be and needs the members to be working together, to be using their gifts for the glory of God. And I also say, you need the church because just on your own, 
Yes, God can use you in great ways. Yes, you can use your gifting in where you are, but it'll always just be limited to you in your sphere. When you join the church, you need the church for community. You need the church for support. You need the church to, to empower and boister and this launch ministry in so many different ways that the church needs you and you need the church. This happens when we start using your God-given gifts to glorify God. So think about where you're gifted, because you are gifted. And think about whether you're using those gifts for the glory of God or you're using them for the glory of something else. But then I argue, look towards the church and seek help from the church to see how you can glorify God every day as the church comes together the church scatters by using your gifts for him. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word that we can read it, we can understand it, we can be, grow because of it. Lord, I just pray for us that we, we see the story and it might be see, seem obscure with funny names about these people building the tabernacle that seems almost distant from us, but how relevant it can be when we think about the community of God and how you build a community to work and achieve what you've called them to do. So Lord, I just pray for this church, each and every one of us. Lord, work in us. Give, let us realize that you've given us everything we need to accomplish what you've called us to do. Let us be confident in what you've given us. Let us lean on one another as we seek to honor you. Lord, we love you and seek you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.